Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. It is an unusual day today if you live in the Galut. Can you say Galut? If you live in the dispersion, the diaspora, this is an unusual day here at Passover time because the calendar is slightly different at Passover time for those of us who live in the Galut, in the diaspora. We don't live in Eretz Israel, in the land of Israel. There's an extra day of Passover. There's an eighth day, as it's called. There's been a lot of discussion about it. And if we were in Israel right now, we would be munching on, I'm not going to say it, <laughs> bread, <laughs> lechem. But uh, for, for many of us, we're still in uh, matzah territory. How many of you have been eating matzah this week, by the way? How many of you ate all your matzah already? One, two hands. All right, three. All right. But uh, matzah, there's teramatsu. There's matzah pizza. <laughs> and there are all kinds of other things you can do with it. And I know people have come up with some novel ideas. So I guess the fact that we're in an eighth day here in the diaspora, in the galut, in the dispersion, and we're not in the land of Israel, maybe there are some advantages to that. One of them would be that we have one more day not eating yeast, chametz. But I, I want to mention to you that Passover is actually a pretty big deal, if you haven't gathered that. Not only is it a big deal as far as this celebration, the amount of days connected to it, but also it's a big deal concerning when we look at Scripture. It's an important issue in Scripture for, for many reasons. We look at this particular feast or this holy day of Passover and the uh, first fruits and Hagamatzot, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We look at this this week and all that's involved with this week. And particularly when we look at the Passover Seder, we see some unusual elements. In fact, that's part of the way the Seder flows is Why is this night different from all the other nights? And as we do the four questions or the four questions are spoken. And by the way, didn't the young ladies do a great job with the four questions? <laughs> There was more energy on that stage than I've found in a long time with those four young people, those four young girls, and so appreciate their uh, family, their parents for helping get that together. But that, the, there's some major biblical elements that are mentioned with Passover, and did you catch the word biblical? The things that the Bible speaks of concerning the Passover, and there's three particular things. If you listen carefully to the Passover Seder, you probably heard this mention. But three things are critical. One, 
unleavened bread, two maror, bitter herbs, and then three, of course, would be the lamb. These are critical aspects. Now, this is not to downplay the importance of other things. I already mentioned the arba kushiot, the four questions that are sung or chanted, the shulchan aruch, the festive meal that we have, which was very good, the four cups that are part of Passover, the afikoman, the afikoman as we call it, that hidden piece of matzah, all that's very important. And of course, some of the melodies that we sing at Passover are just unique to Passover. I don't want to start singing one because I'm afraid you'll be singing it for the, till next Passover. I'll just say the word, Dayenu. <laughs> Let me say it again, Dayenu. <laughs> and, you know, we, we love these things, but those three elements, the unleavened bread, the bitter herbs, and the lamb are just critical. And we can make a, a, a point that Passover itself, when we look at the, the yearly calendar that God instituted, Pesach, is extremely important. Some have called it the linchpin of the Hebrew calendar, Pesach. This idea of Passover continues to impact thinking, particularly Jewish thinking, but also we find Passover mentioned continually in the New Covenant. You know who celebrated Passover? Yeshua and his family. <laughs> That's pretty good company. Is it? If you celebrated Passover this year, you connected with Yeshua and his, his uh, family. And Passover is also, the terms of Passover continue to recur in the Brit Chadashah, in the New Covenant. It was in response to a situation of gross immorality that occurred among the believers in Corinth that Rav Shaul, Paul the Apostle, who was what? He was a parush of parushim. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He brings into his discussion, actually his guidance to the Corinthians, he uses Passover terminology. Do you think he knew something about Passover and the Passover Seder? I would say a resounding yes. He uses that very terminology that's unique to Passover in describing that, referring to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 6, where Rav Shaul Paul wrote these things. He said, your glorying is not good. Notice the next words, the next few words, the ideas that he brings up. Notice where they come from. They come from Pesach from Passover. He says, your glorying is not good. He had, they had just addressed the issue of uh, gross immorality in the community. He's responded to that. He says, your glorying is not good. And then he, he, then he provokes them with this question. He invokes this idea, do you not know? Do you not know that a little yeast, a little leaven, a little chametz, a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And I have to stop here for a minute and ask you, how many of you have baked bread before? Let's see. Wow, I've got more response on this than anything here this morning. <laughs> and I know some of you are gluten-free, etc. but, you know, in normal circumstances, do you use a little yeast in your lump of dough? Of course. It's, it's necessary, and he, he's appealing to them, and it's not about a culinary idea here. It's a Pesach idea. He says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? 
And I'm going to prove the point, I think, well, he will with his terms, that he was thinking about Passover as he's responding to their issue of immorality in, in the Corinthian community. He, he continues in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, remove or purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. Do you know that Yeshua's shed blood cleanses you from sin? How many of you are thankful for that idea? I'm eternally thankful for that. Because we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of what God desires us to be. And the wages of sin are death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. Therefore, it says, remove, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are leavened. And then listen to the Passover terminology. Here on this eighth day of Passover, here in the glute, it seems very appropriate. It says, for indeed, Messiah, our Passover was sacrificed for us. Not just the sins of Israel or not just the sins of the world, but for all of us. That includes you today. Messiah was sacrificed for you. He willingly gave his life for you. He offers you newness of life through faith in him. As you place your trust from your heart in him, there's newness of life that awaits you. And many of us have experienced that. We call it being nolad mechadash, to being born again, born anew. It's like the veils removed from the eyes and new life has come. For indeed, Messiah, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. And you know he continues with Passover terminology? Therefore, let us keep the feast. <laughs> I'm glad we made it through this week without leaven in our home. And I was asking my wife during the worship time as, as uh, different things were being discussed if we had found any yeast yet in the house. We always do, as Carl pointed out. Therefore, let us keep the feast, but not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Are those two of the guiding issues in your life? Do you have a sincere faith in the Messiah? Are you seeking to walk in his truth? If those two issues, or those two, those things are guiding you, then you're on the right path. Now, thinking about Pesach here on this eighth day here in the Galut, the whole history of Pesach begins back in Exodus chapter 12 and 13. We won't read through all that. We'd be here quite a while if we did. But just to remind you that Passover was instituted by the Lord when the children of Israel, B'nai Israel, were, were mired literally in the mud pits of Egypt without hope. And their groanings and their sighings were ascending up to the Lord and he heard and he had compassion. It reminds us of what happens in our life. Maybe you're here today and that sin that so easily besets you is causing you to cry out to God. Be aware that he hears your cry. 
and he will guide you and lead you. If you will let him, if you let him be Lord, he'll guide and lead you forward to a place beyond your own determination, but a place that's much better for you than you can even imagine. And that's what he did for the children of Israel. He took the children of Israel out of Egypt and brought them towards Eretz Zavat Chalav Devash, a land that's flowing with milk and honey. And what a difference when you think of the contrast between the mud pits of Egypt and the, the overwhelming authority of Pharaoh over them to the land that God promised to our forefathers, flowing with milk and honey, the land of Israel. Now, Passover is mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23. And most of us, when we think about Passover, this is the go-to chapter. Vayikra, Leviticus chapter 23. In fact, I would suggest to you, if you are not familiar with Leviticus 23, and I've said this many times, and I probably will continue saying this, study Leviticus chapter 23. There is God's calendar for you. It's mentioned, Passover's mentioned quite rapidly in Leviticus chapter 23. But the first thing that's mentioned is the Shabbat. Let's look at that. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, Moedei Adonai, the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be Mikraye Kodesh, holy convocations, Hem Moedai. These are what? My feasts. Don't be too possessive of his feast. You're invited to partake of them, but they're his feast. <laughs> Hem Moadai, these are my feast. And after mentioning the feast of the Lord, the Mikraye Kodesh, the holy convocations, the Moadei Adonai again, the feast of the Lord, the very first thing that's mentioned in the very next verse is six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Shabbat Shabbaton, is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a Mikra Kodesh, a holy convocation. So he introduces the idea of the Feast of the Lord, and the very first thing that's mentioned is what? The Sabbath. It continues, You shall do no work on it. It is the Shabbat of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are, then he continues, These are the Feast of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. And it has been a question that has resonated over the years, why is the Shabbat mentioned first before the other equally God-ordained holy days such as Passover, Firstfruits, Hagamatzot, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Shavuot, Yom Kippur, all these days that are mentioned in Leviticus. Why Shabbat first? Well, surprisingly, or maybe not, the scripture never really tells us why Shabbat is mentioned first. We get some remazim, some hints, but it never specifically tells us, thus saith the Lord, this is why I put Shabbat first in Leviticus 23. It doesn't say that. But it is compelling to realize concerning the Sabbath, the Shabbat, to realize that the Shabbat, the Sabbath, is an integral part of the creation narrative. There we have it. 
the creation narrative. And it's also the fourth of the Ten Commandments. In fact, it is the largest, the longest, the most words, almost half of all the Hebrew words in the Ten Commandments are found in the fourth commandment concerning the Shabbat. It's explicitly spelled out. That, those are compelling ideas. The fact that Shabbat goes all the way back to the creation and the fact that in, in the giving of the Aserta Dibrot, the ten words, the ten commandments of the Lord, the fourth commandment is so specifically spelled out. That's compelling. Yet to me, when I look at the full, the panoramic view of Scripture from Sefer Bereshit all the way up to the Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation, there is one particular statement that stands out to me and just jumps out of the page to me every time I see it. It's mentioned in three of the four Gospels, the Besorot. It's mentioned, it's not even a long statement. It's not even a seriously theological statement like we might find in Romans or Corinthians or Ephesians or Galatians. It's not that. In Mark, for example, chapter 2, verse 28, you see Yeshua mentioned the Sabbath in a manner only he could. In a manner only he could as the Mashiach, the Messiah. In a manner only he could as the king. In a manner only he could as the Lord. Yeshua stated unequivocally, it's repeated in the Besarot, the Gospels, that he, the Son of Man, is what? He is the Lord of the Shabbat, of the Sabbath. You know what, friends? You could say that about yourself. You can go around here today and say, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And you might say that for the rest of your breaths. But Yeshua rose from the dead. He has proven that death could not conquer him. He has proven that he's the Lord of the Shabbat. And besides being a clear reference to Yeshua's divinity when he says, I, the Son of Man, am the Lord of the Sabbath. Besides that, Yeshua was affirming his full authority over the Shabbat, the Sabbath. And by inference, when we think of that, if he's Lord of the Sabbath, which was the crowning moment of creation, when God rested, the Yinefash. If he's the Lord of the Sabbath, by inference, he's really Lord of all things. And that's what the scripture teaches us. We say it tersely. We say it with three words, Yeshua is Lord. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. This is a post-resurrection event and a post-resurrection declaration of Yeshua after the grave could not hold him, after the stone was rolled away, after he appeared to hundreds and hundreds of people and showed himself. He says this, among other things, in Matatiao, Matthew chapter 28, you know what he says? He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Wow, that is a statement, isn't it? He doesn't say, there's been a little bit of authority given to me for a little while. He says that all authority has been given to him 
in heaven and in earth. That covers the whole kit and caboodle, in my opinion. Heaven and earth, that's it. He's the Lord of all, we could say, at that, at that point. And this, the Jewish writers of the Brit Chalashah, the New Covenant, they understood Yeshua's supremacy. I wish modern theologians would get it more. They understood it. These Jewish followers, these first followers, and all of them initially were all Jewish people. In fact, most of them were Sabras, native-born Israelis. But there's one who was from Tarsus, as I've already mentioned him, Rab Shaul, Paul the Apostle, Rabbi Saul. And he wrote this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. At the name of Yeshua, Jesus, every knee should bow. And notice how he states it afterwards. Of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess what? That Messiah Yeshua is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Are you confessing Yeshua as Lord of your life or do you have some other Lord there that you're putting forward? You can fill in the blank. For most of it, it's the big, what I call I-itis, the exalted I, capital I, ego. And that brings me, though, when I think about Yeshua's lordship, it brings me back to the creation narrative, which I've already referenced in Genesis chapter 2. Let's take a look at that for a minute, if you wouldn't mind, please. In your scripture, Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Notice the phraseology. Again, it's the phrase heavens and earth. The heavens and earth. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. Notice the verbs here. And on the seventh day, on Yom Hashvi'i, God ended his work, which he had done, and he Shabbated, he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Verse 3 of Bereshit, Genesis chapter 2. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because in it he rested from all the work which God had created and made. Now I mentioned as I was reading this to take special note of the main verbs, the major verbs in this text. There's five or six of them. I want to point out five of them. Five major verbs or action words, if you will, that are found in the first few verses of Genesis chapter 2. Now, these action words are words like created, completed, or finished, rested, blessed, and sanctified. There's also the verb to do. It's a common verb. So, but these same five verbs are associated with Yeshua the Messiah. And the New Covenant specifically associates these verbs with Yeshua the Messiah. For example... We read in Genesis 2, as we just read, we read about how God created. And then on the seventh day, he rested. But he created. The New Covenant tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says that if any person 
is in Messiah. That person is what? A new creation. Their creation or creative process is associated with Jesus, with Yeshua, the Messiah. This verb introduced all the way back in the book of Genesis is connected to Yeshua, the Messiah. So he's associated with, in the new covenant, the, a new creation. It also says in Genesis chapter 2 that God completed, some translations say he finished his work. You know what Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says? It says, it promises even that Yeshua will complete the good work he has begun in your life unto the day of his return. That same verb is continually associated with Yeshua. The Lord rested. It says they rested on the seventh day, on Yom Hashvi'i. He rested. Yeshua said in Matatiao, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, you know, he said, he said, come on to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Maybe that's you today. The cares of the world are on your shoulders, you feel like. Yeshua backs and he calls you. He says, come on to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. And then you know what he says? He says, and I will give you rest. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 11 says, let us be diligent to enter that rest. It is upon you and me. It's incumbent upon us that when we feel weary and heavy laden that we go to the right source. We go to the right one. This is not Facebook. This is not the internet. This is not television. This is not radio. This is the risen Lord that we go to. And you know what? He gives to us something he uniquely can because he's the eternal one. He gives us rest deep to our soul. Now, we can cover it up pretty good sometimes, but when he gives us his rest, his Shabbat, and we're diligent to enter that rest. It's way down here that it happens. How many of you know what I'm talking about here this morning? Way down inside. And if you're separated from Yeshua right now in your life, and he's not really a strong part of your life, please, please grow closer to him. Draw near to him. Place your trust in him. He's the one who can help you. So, creations is related to him. Finishing, completing the work is related to Yeshua. Rest, entering his rest is related to Yeshua. These are all verbs from the creation narrative, particularly the Shabbat narrative of creation. And then it says, it says the Lord blessed Yom Hashvi, the seventh day. In Genesis chapter 2, it mentions that specifically, that the Lord blessed the seventh day. There are so many occasions where Yeshua blessed <laughs> that I had to just pick a few to share with you. Do you remember how he said, allow the little children to come unto me and do not forbid them for thus is the kingdom of God? The text tells us that he blessed those little children. Can you see that picture? It's a picture somewhat of us spiritually. If we as children will go to him, he will bless us. Will you go to the Lord today as a child before his heavenly father? 
That's the place of blessing. If you go to the Lord as the Lord, you're coming face to face with the true Lord. That's not going to work. It's not going to go. Yeshua blessed the children. And curiously, after his resurrection, he's risen from the dead. The grave couldn't hold him. After his resurrection, it's Luke that records an extremely dynamic event that took place with Yeshua, the risen Lord and his followers. What a dynamic event this is. It's recorded in Luke chapter 24, verse 50. Yeshua had resurrected from there. He appeared unto them. He instructed them, told them to wait in Jerusalem, etc., tarry, as the King James says until you receive power on high. We're in that season now that all this happened. This very season is when this text happened. This event that I'm reading of happened during this season between Pesach, Passover, and Shavuot, Pentecost. It says, and Yeshua led them out as far as Bethany, right outside of Jerusalem. And notice what it says he did. And he lifted up his hands... And what did he do? He blessed them. (laughs) Can you imagine the risen Lord lifting his hands and blessing them? Can you imagine, just picture in your mind the faces of his followers as they did that? Or maybe his punam, his face. And he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And it came to pass, notice the verb that's emphasized here. It came to pass while he blessed them, that verb is repeated again, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. (laughs) You talk about a tension-getting moment. Now, they were used to these kind of things with Yeshua, but this one, seeing him ascend into the Shemayim, the heavens, And he had just blessed them. But notice the next verse. Luke chapter 24, verse 52. That scene we just read, Yeshua led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them, and it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And Luke 24, verse 52 says, And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. It's like seeping into them. He's the Lord. He said he's coming back. He's going to come back. And you know, it can be at any time, my friends. At any time. Are you ready to meet the Lord? Could be at any time. I don't say that. I'm not exaggerating that idea. He could come at any time. Are you ready? He said, be ready, for you know not when the Son of Man shall return. Is your life showing readiness? Are your actions showing readiness? Are you doing what's right in his sight? Because the Lord himself is going to return. He's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives. And the text tells us it's going to split in two. The idea is there's going to be a great arrival. Are you ready for him? Now's the season to get ready. Now's the season. You know, it says that they worshipped him. 
we need to enter more into worship. We have an opportunity here with different styles of worship, with liturgy, some love the liturgy, I'm one of those. With dance, some love the dance, I'm one of those. Some love to sing, I'm one of those. Some love to lift their hands, I are one of those too. <laughs> but we need to enter into worship. What are we doing? If you feel like the Lord's blessed you, enter into worship and give him praise and thank him for his many blessings. You don't forget a single one that he's given to you. I don't know why sometimes. You know, it doesn't say, and they worship him and return to Jerusalem with great sadness and pitifulness. They got it. He's the Lord. He's coming back, and he has blessed us. They got it. When you come together to worship, come together as a people who's blessed, because you are. Come together as a people who's ready to give thanks to the Lord, because it is good to give thanks to the Lord. Tov lehadot ladonai. And to sing praises to your name, O Most High God. Now, the reciprocal action to receiving his generous blessings is to be generous in return. Make sure you're generous. Yeshua said it this way in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. He says, freely, freely you have received. You know what it says right after that? Freely give. Freely you have received freely given. May the Lord bless Carmen as she goes to her appointment today. Freely you have received, freely give. Let something open up inside of you towards the Lord and towards his kingdom. And lastly, in Genesis 2, there was another verb that was used. It's translated sanctified. It says the Lord sanctified the seventh day. In the English language, that's how it's translated, most translation. Besides the sanctification process that's at work in the lives of believers, and how many of you can sense there's a sanctification process going on in your lives? I do. Some of us do. There's something happening inside of us. I appreciate when the Holy Spirit seems to check me on something like, "Mm mm-mm. Or it's not always a no. Sometimes it's a... Yeah, go for it. And some of you know what I'm talking about. That process going on inside of a believer's life is very critical, but even more so, as much as the new covenant, the Brit Hadashah, talks about the sanctifying process and sanctification, we need to understand, because the Scripture is clear in the Brit Hadashah and the new covenant, that Yeshua is our sanctification. He's our sanctification. He's the sanctifier of his people. It's his blood that cleanses us. This is clearly spelled out in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It couldn't be said again, it's Rapshua, a Pharisee, a former Pharisee, born of Pharisee parents, a Hebrew speaker, uh, as to the Torah blameless, he says, but of him you are in Messiah, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, but of him you are in Messiah, Yeshua, who became for us wisdom from God. Are you lacking wisdom? Turn to Yeshua. Ask him. And righteousness and sanctification, notice that word, 
and redemption that it is as it is written, he who glories, let him glory where or with whom in the Lord. I hope you're a hand lifter. You're a pointer that you're continually pointing to the Lord. Be a pointer for the Lord. And when we say Yeshua is Lord of our lives, when we make that confession, and I hope everyone here has, when we say that he is Lord of our lives, the implication of that statement is that he is Lord over every area of our lives. Does that mean we have hit the arrival point in every area of our lives? I would say no. But as Philippians 1.6 says, and as I pointed out already in these words, he who has begun a good work shall complete it. He shall finish it. So here's how I'd like to conclude these words here this morning. When I first came to know Yeshua, and it's been a long time. <laughs> it's not a decade. It's multiple decades ago. <laughs> And some of you I know, you've been mired on the age of 39 all your life. <laughs> but when I first came to know Yeshua, I picked up that there was a popular saying that, well, I kept hearing it as I started to attend meetings, which I'd never attended before, honestly. And I started attend believing meetings, and I kept hearing this statement, this saying, and it was new to me. It's probably not new to you, but it was new to me back then. And it was this quote and I heard it over and over again. And I gnashed my teeth over and I pondered it. What's this quote? What's this about? What does this mean? And then further, how does this apply to my life? And here was the quote. It was this. He is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. End quote. How many have heard that before? Or something similar? That quote actually has a human author. His name was James Hudson Taylor, commonly called Hudson Taylor. And he lived from 1832 to 1905. Very important person because he understood and he brought to the forefront what we might call today cross-cultural. The church uses the term evangelism. But cross-cultural teaching and preaching. He was called to China. He also went to Africa, I believe. But he was called to China. He went to China. He was a, an English guy. He went to China, and he realized that all the missionaries, as he called them, all those that were doing outreach in China, you know what they ended up doing? They ended up being translators for diplomats that would come into China from England, and they needed someone that could speak Chinese so they would find the outreach person there. And he had more going on inside with nothing wrong with that, but he had more happening inside of him. And he thought, you know, if we're going to try to share the good news with the Chinese, we might want to connect some with their culture. And you know what he did? It was extremely radical. He was ostracized for this. But he began to wear Chinese garb. He left the suit and the tie and the black and the white, as he called it. He left all that, and he began to wear Chinese garb. But he never called himself Chinese, by the way. He didn't lose his identity. He was always an Englishman to his death. But he understood if you're going to speak to people, you have to speak in a way that they can culturally understand. 
We encountered that when we were in the Ukraine. We were warned, uh, and we need to pray. How many are praying for Ukraine, by the way? I am fervently. I'm wearing people have asked me, why do you have these paper clips on your thing? Or a few people come and said, do you, do you know you have paper clips on your lapel? I said, yeah, I do. I put them there. <laughs> They're blue and yellow because I'm praying for the 23 or more Messianic congregations in Ukraine that are on bombardment. But when we went to Ukraine, we were warned, and it was a warning, that there was a particular delicacy that they like to feed their guests. And I don't want to gross anyone out, but let's just say it was pig fat with bread. <laughs> it's a delicacy. I mean, they mean well. And Miriam and I experienced, we did not go through that experience because basically everybody we hung out with, they were Messianic Jewish. <laughs> so we didn't have to partake of that, but we were warned. And Hudson Taylor, James Hudson Taylor, realized, hey, we need to speak the language. My friends, if you have neighbors close to you, get to know them a little bit. Don't take their ways if their ways are evil but share with them in a relevant way. If you're able to address some of their concerns, address their concerns in a relevant way. Reach out to those around you as best as you can. Connect with them as best as you can. Well, Hudson Taylor's statement, again, it was either he, he is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. I think it expresses how our lives should be. It expresses that our lives, our actions, our words, our motives, we're really under a divine spotlight. Do you realize that? That everything you're saying and doing is seen by the Lord and heard by the Lord. That's an awesome idea. An idea that just, just grabs me and I hope it does you as well. And when God instituted his feast in Leviticus chapter 23, he mentions the Shabbat, but then he talks about Pesach, Passover. When he instituted his feast, he was calling and inviting people to come to a mo moed, to an appointed time with him. And to, to connect with him in an unusual way and in a specific way for that particular feast. And I think it's a privilege myself that we get to do that here at Rospina Congregation. I think it's a privilege that we, we receive the hasmanah, the invitation from the Lord, and we actually do partake of Passover, keeping in mind that Yeshua is pointed to in every single feast, that he's the center of those feasts. Because each feast points us to him. Each feast points us to Yeshua. Now, the issue of his lordship, this is an eternal issue. Did you hear the word? eternal issue that every human being faces. Either he was true in what he said or he was false. As for me, I believe he's true. He's the Lord of all. And how our, re how our heart responds to his call of lordship or his lordship on our life determines really our actions, how we behave. And can I go this far? And let me say this. It our response to his lordship also determines and impacts how we will spend eternity. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Yeshua 
and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, (laughs) say those next four words with me, please. You will be saved. Now, there's two prerequisites to that salvation process, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. And when one confesses with the mouth and believes in the heart, you know what happens? Our deeds change. We start doing other things. We turn from evil. And do good as we sang today. And verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now I want to leave you with another quote, and then we'll pray. It's a quote from a well-known Dutch Holocaust survivor, non-Jewish Holocaust survivor. Many of you know this name. Her name was Corrie ten Boom. How many of you have heard of her before? Most of us have. She said many important things, but I want to leave you with this quote to ruminate on, to think about. Here's what she said. Quote, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. What makes this ring so strong with me is Corey Ten Boone's own life. In the Holocaust, in the camps, and having to trust God. I pray that's you today. Are you trusting him? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for sending your son, Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. Lord, we seek your grace. We seek to walk in the ways you desire us to. We thank you for this Passover season. And even as many of us remove the chametz, the leaven, the yeast from our homes, we thank you that you are our sanctifier and you are actively removing from our lives those things that are like yeast, prideful things, against you father i pray for each individual hearing these words that you might pour out your ruach hakodesh your holy spirit upon each heart each life and that you would lead us all forward into the fullness of your will for us your word says not all who cry lord lord shall enter the kingdom but those who do the will of the father Thank you, Lord. Thank you for each person here. And as we go forward onto lunch, onto the Oneg, and about the rest of the Shabbat day, we proclaim, You are the Lord. Ein kamocha b'shemayim There's no one like unto you in the heavens and the earth. B'shem Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G 
You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.